Ready to learn why cash flow and compassion are not mutually exclusive? Each week, brand strategist, speaker, and author Maria Ross will introduce you to the trailblazing brands and leaders who embrace empathetic tactics to reap huge rewards. You'll learn about winning teams, brand wins and fails, unforgettable customer experience, and bold leadership decisions fueled by compassion. You'll get the latest trends and research, discover practical ways to infuse more empathy into your work and life, and hear from innovative market leaders who've smashed outdated models and redefined success. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Empathy Edge podcast, where we're going to show you how empathy is not only good for society, but it's great for business. And I am thrilled today to have a former colleague, a personal friend, and even a past client of mine on the show to talk about how data is empathy, among many other topics. We're talking today with Steve Hartman. Steve is an investor and advisor. He's also a seasoned executive with a unique mix of extensive experience across e-commerce, marketing, analytics, and technology. He's an inspirational leader with a long track record of success in building and inspiring strong global teams and cultures, driving transformational organizational change, and delivering outstanding business results. Now, Steve has a broad range of industry experience across omni-channel retail, technology, storage, and financial services. Most recently, he was the president and chief growth officer of Windsor Fashions, a women's specialty retailer with over 190 stores in the U.S. Formerly, he was CMO and SVP of e-commerce at Eddie Bauer, managing director of e-commerce and marketing at Urban Outfitters, SVP of marketing at CubeSmart, and the senior director of eBay Partner Network. He has a BS in mechanical engineering from Carnegie Mellon University and not one, but two MBAs from Columbia University and Haas School of Business at UC Berkeley. And today, Steve and I, as I mentioned, talk about data as empathy. We talk about what it takes to lead a team with empathy, and he shares some of his models and some of his habits and practices for how he's not only been a very empathetic and human leader with his teams, but also how he's effectively managed remote teams located across the globe. It's a great show today packed with useful information for you. So stay tuned. Steve Hartman, I am so excited to have you here today. Hello, Maria Ross. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Awesome. And just to be completely transparent, this is our second recording doing this because we had an awesome interview and I forgot to hit record. So we are doing the the redux. Is that what they call it? I just look at it as a great excuse for us to get back together and have another great conversation. So <laughs> Totally, totally. So Steve, you and I go way back to Anderson Consulting Days, now Accenture, which is what totally dates us. And why I really wanted to talk to you on the Empathy Edge podcast is that you've had a very successful career as a marketing leader and business leader in general, but you came up through the ranks, not through the typical marketing path of corpcom or brand marketing. You came up through data and technology, and you were on the technology side at Anderson when I was in change management, and we worked together there. And so it's really interesting that you you come at this from a very left brain, if you will, if I can stereotype, mm -hmm. point of view early on as a programmer 
And I'm just wondering, how did you make that leap into the marketing pond? And why do you believe something you have said to me in the past is that data is empathy? So you come from a very left brain world, but you've done amazing things with marketing and amazing things just as an empathetic leader in general. But tell me what you mean by data is empathy and what, what's been the benefit of crossing over into sort of a right brain, quote unquote, function from where you came from? Great, great question, and thank you. I was uh, humbled by your by your words there, um, but yeah, just to, maybe to get into how I got into marketing from coming from the technology side. You know, you're, you're right. I started as a programmer and was in you know data warehousing, so working with big data. And you know, one of the things I liked about that was being on the cusp of technology for supporting business decisions and really technology for a purpose, not technology for technology's sake. And, you know, the benefit that you can see with users and with business leaders when they're using these you know, tools that are designed for them to make their lives easier, to make their work better. And to do that, it really took you know, working together with them really closely, understanding what their needs were, you know, helping to understand like, where do they, where do they want to go? Maybe some of these things that they didn't even know they wanted to do. So, you know, I, I never really, I, you know, until we started having the conversations around empathy, I never really thought of it that way. It was just kind of like, well, that's what you do. And I was also fortunate to be around some other you know, amazing people who were fantastic business analysts and user experience designers who were able to make these tools that the users would say like, hey, I love this. And then on the other hand, I also knew how I get frustrated when I have a bad user, get a bad user experience and saying, did anyone ever think that there's a human trying to use this? Exactly. Um, <laughs> like right. there's a person on the other end trying to use this. And so, I mean, really that's empathy right there as you were just naturally thinking, well, what is the user's experience going to be like? 100%. And yeah, maybe it's because I'm, I'm so self-centered that I hate when I have it myself that <laughs> it causes me to have empathy for other people. <laughs> um, but anyways, so, you know, that's my, that was a lot of my career in technology. And then, you know, I ended up managing, you know, development teams and, you know, managing big projects and managing, you know, going into eBay and managing some different functions within the data warehouse team. And then ended up sitting within the finance organization as a technology counterpart and within the marketing organization. And, you know, I had a number of mentors at the time who were, you know, on the marketing side and some on the technology side and, you know, getting various perspectives of it's, it's great to be the, the technology guy who understands business because it's, you know, it's one of, one of these seams in the organization that a lot of times can, can struggle. And on the other hand, I had some, you know, folks on the business side saying, Hey, it's great to be the business guy who understands technology or business person who understands right. technology. And, you know, I, I made the decision that that's the direction that I wanted to go. And, you know, I got an MBA and moved over onto the business side within eBay. And then interestingly, one of my first roles within a business organization was helping to be the liaison to the technology organization because there were a lot of the big chasm in there. So right. um, you know, having that empathy for the technology organization from the business side, having the empathy for the business organization from the technology side, that's kind of how I, I made that, that leap over. Well, and also, I mean, being able to speak both those languages. So, you know, I, I often talk about, I've been on the client and the agency side, and I feel like unlike a lot of my other agency counterparts, I understand the world my client executives live in. 
because that was my world. I was hiring people like me. So there's sort of a built-in exposure to empathy for you being on all those different sides and then being better able to collaborate as a result of that. Right. Now, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, your example is a great one where you do have that perspective and you truly have empathy because you have walked in their shoes and you understand how they feel and what they're going through. So when you make a decision, say on the agency side, Mm -hmm. um, you're like, yeah, you know what? I actually know what the client's going through right now. So I'm not going to do what the typical agency thing would be. Here's how I'm going to handle it. Exactly. Exactly. And so when you talk about that experience of, of coming from the technology side, but then very specifically coming from the analytics side and the data side, why do you say data is empathy? Yeah, great, great question. Again, I, you know, I think it's our, our conversations as I was thinking about it, like, uh, no, it, it actually is. And it really helped clarify it for me because especially as we're in, you know, within marketing and using a lot of, you know, u- user data, customer data, you know, it was really to try to understand and get a perspective on, you know, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? What are all the inputs that they're considering? How do we better serve their needs? And, you know, that is empathetic because without having that information, without having that data, we wouldn't be able to have that perspective. We wouldn't be able to understand them as well as we do and then, and then you know, be able to serve them. So that's where I think, you know, it's like, wow, that really is empathy. And that is giving us this perspective and this, you know, uh, understanding what they're feeling. Well, and it's honest because I was just in a brand master class recently and we were talking about why focus groups suck and why you never really get accurate information, especially if you're asking the wrong questions. But there was a whole sort of conversation among all these brand strategists of, you know, well, data can be so cold and impersonal and you strip the humanity out of it. But, you know, you and I have talked about the fact that actually when you're looking, especially at analytics and behavioral in the moment data, it's the most honest reaction because it's what people are actually doing in the scenario, not what they tell you they're going to do when they yeah. get there, but where are they on the site if it's e-commerce or what's resonating for them? You know, which button are they clicking depending on which copy they get? You know, all, all that kind of data. And then how are they going through the process and where do they drop out of the process that's causing them problems? So there's almost, especially if you're looking at analytics insights, of, of yeah. behavior, it's almost the most honest research you can do because it's what people are actually doing. Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. And I think it's funny you, do, you, you mentioned that about people looking at data as being like cold and hard and analytical. And I actually don't look at it, at it that way at all. It's sure there's, you know, a lot of data, there's numbers, it's all bits and bytes. So there's that aspect to it. But what you're really trying to do is get this data to tell a story and get it to provide a perspective. And that's really the the stories and the insights that you get out of it is really where the magic happens. So if people look at it, it's kind of like, you know, similarly, like people say, oh, oh it's math, you know, it's, ah, it's <laughs> like math, you know, I'm an English major. Right. You know, and we all have our strengths and weaknesses. You know, right, I've got, right. I've got plenty of the latter. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's it's let's it's, let's not be so black and white about it. It's like it, there is a lot of creativity in data. Actually, there's probably too much creativity in data sometimes, <laughs> where you can get data to tell whatever story you whatever want it to story tell. you want it to tell. Exactly. Yeah, it's like yeah. there's lies, damn lies, and then statistics. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. 
so, so yeah, I think I think there is really this element of empathy, element of storytelling that's in data that you can miss it if you just want to say no, it's data. I just you know want to turn a blind eye to that, but it's there. Well, and I think you brought up such a great point that whole idea of like the data tells a story, and so the real art of that is figuring out what story the data is telling you, not just the right. numbers and the statistics that you present to senior management, but it's sort of like, okay, what does that mean? And what do we do with that? That's the story that you have to tell. And why is the data showing us that? That often involves trying to get into the heads of the people providing the data. Like, well, maybe they thought this or maybe that, or this was going on in their lives as they were on this e-commerce site or whatever it is. It's, it's, it requires you to have that art of telling the story to fill in why the data is what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I was just dealing with was somebody who was talking about marketing attribution or digital marketing attribution. And, you know, if I look at his Facebook click this way versus a Google click this way, it tells me that I should be spending more, more money on Google, less money on Facebook. And like, yeah, but the Google click wouldn't have happened if you weren't marketing on Facebook and telling them your brand story. And there's a lot of these things where the, the, the answer is there's no answer in the back of the book and you really need to understand like, well, why is the data saying what, what it is? What's the story that it's telling and how to use it? And that's where you got to put your empathy hat on of like, yeah, okay, what is, what is the user experiencing right now that would lead them to make that decision? Correct. Yeah. yeah 100%. So where do you see empathies needed most to make organizations run better? Because you know, aside from your your marketing leadership, I mean, you've been in company, just general company leadership, and you've led large teams, you've led remote teams, and maybe talking about what empathy is needed at that senior leadership level, how you get everyone to come together to create success. Yeah, great, great question. I think there's really three areas where empathy is needed from senior leaders. Um, one goes back to the conversation we we're just having about data, and that's empathy with the customer. So really understanding and connecting with the customer and not just treating them like they're this, you know, a faceless, you know, entity that's on the other end of whatever product or service they're providing. So that's first. And then second, um, empathy with employees and really understanding their employees, you know, how they feel about what they're doing, what they're, what's inspiring them, what's not. And then empathy with other senior leaders within the organization. And yeah. Yeah, you know, that's that's one that's um, yeah, we've both seen it fall. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, your, your peer, you know, thinking of your peers as an audience that requires empathy because those are the people you need to make decisions with, and often the people that you disagree with the most on yes. different courses of action. So, yeah, it it is kind of a forgotten like senior leadership looks at often will look at customers and internal employees but they won't necessarily look at themselves as an executive team of peers that have to have empathy for each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's where, um, you know, I think there's a couple things going on there. One, you know, everybody comes in with a lot of experience and a certain amount of ego, um, you know, hopefully we're getting better at that as we continue to mature as people and progress as a society. Um, hopefully. But, um, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Not good. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, so, so we come in and, and everybody in a way has their armor on and, you know, you've got to be the strong one and the, the loudest voice in the room and depending on what your culture is like. And, you know, but there is this like, you know, we're all working together towards, we should be working together towards a common goal 
as a senior leadership team. Of course, you're right. We're going to have different different ideas on how to to get things done. Yada yada. We're you know, but at the end of the day, it's you know serving our customers, you know, shareholder value, you know, and if you're triple bottom line, making the world a better place. But you know. Coming together as a team, you know, it requires us. We work together differently than we probably have before. And, you know, I remember when I was coming into Urban Outfitters and, um, you know, I was coming in to run e-commerce and marketing. And the first time that I sat down with our head of stores, um, who ended up becoming a very dear friend, um, but he's like, oh, so you're the new marketing guy who I'm going to be fighting with. And I'm like, wait a second, why are we going to be fighting? Um, right. It's like, well, you know, you're marketing, but you also own the e-commerce P&L. And, you know, generally, you know, all marketing's been going towards e-commerce and not towards stores, but we have this, you know, this need for stores. I'm like, well, you know, let's think about it. We've got one customer who wants a great experience with Urban Outfitters, no matter, like, they don't care that we have two P&Ls. And, mm-hmm. you know, being empathetic to him of like, yes, you have needs running your business. Um, but then also being empathetic to the rest of the company saying, well, you know, and our shareholders, like that's really right. who we need to serve. So, you know, rather than having our own agenda in in mind and saying like, well, I, you know, I've got, I'm gold on this. This is the only thing I'm going to focus on, you know, taking this bigger picture approach and also trying to understand where, you know, each one of our peers is coming from, I, I think it just helps make us all better. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things I talked about in the book was, to strengthen your own empathy as an individual, whether a leader or just an individual in the organization, is being able to find that common ground and not yeah. going thinking you know all the answers. I mean, yes, you have to be proficient at your job, but right. having this humility about maybe there's another way and being open to that. And and like exactly like you said, sort of level setting the conversation. If you're in those conflict moments, whether you're, you know, executive to executive or leader to employee, is Let's revisit our common ground here. What, what are we both after? And even if it's the, the biggest thing you can think of, which is we both want the company to succeed, right? Or we, we both want to make our quarterly sales number. Being able to start from there and build back up is where you're able to, to really pull that empathy out because it's like, oh, I see we're both after the same thing. You just think there's a different way to get there. So let's right. talk about that versus like you're just butting heads all the time. Yeah, yeah, no, so it's such a great point. And I mean, I think as I think, you know, through what are some of the experiences that I could have done better and I could have, uh, you know, I, I've learned from the most is, you know, there's ones where you go into the conversation trying to prove your point versus really trying to understand it's, it's an age old. I'm, ra- I'm raising my hand on that one. Yeah. You go in, you're like, this is how this meeting's going to go. And this is what, yeah. these are all the points I'm going to get across. And it's kind of optional if you're there or not, because this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you have this thing where it's like, but, but you're not listening to me. And then you realize that you haven't listened to a single word that they've said because you're trying to get your point across so strongly and you totally miss this great opportunity to connect, to learn. So, um, yeah, I try not to be that, uh, you know, that, that, that guy. Blonde, yeah, that guy <laughs> and that blind going into these conversations. That, uh, yeah. I'd, I'd lie if I'd say I was uh, not guilty of that anymore. But, and we all are, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's an important point of how empathy's played a role in your leadership style. Where else has it played a role in your success? And, you know, especially can you talk about your experience with managing remote teams that were dispersed across the globe? 
Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was fortunate when I was at eBay when I was um, running the affiliate marketing organization, which you know, is, is, was actually a pretty pretty large organization. I was relatively new in leading you know marketing teams, and at the same time, I was asked to take this um, team on. And uh, I think I could know, I knew how to spell affiliates at the time, but that was. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, uh, it, it was. It was actually very humbling in that I had, you know, I really. It's probably one of the first leadership roles where I had, where I was really like, "Hey, teach me, like, help me understand um, what this is." And fortunately, like, very, really talented team members who were able, to, like, help me learn and come up to speed, and I could bring my leadership experience in, you know, and then you know, really get the expertise from them. And one of the things that that happened during that time was. Um, we had an entire global team coming together, which we had been, you know, disparate organizations within different countries within Europe, and finally all coming together as one team. And you know, had a um, someone from England, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain all coming together that hadn't worked closely together before, and then all bringing their own cultural norms. Uh, yeah, I mean. It- that's a that's the cultural difference too of bringing that to the table, not just even how their own individual offices operate in their countries, but them as people and how their culture impacts how they collaborate, how they communicate, how they work. One hundred percent. And I was it was also very fortunate at the time. I this was just after I finished up my executive MBA and had just had an international business class and a lot of talk about <laughs> culture. raring to go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like you're kind of like really primed at this point. And so like, all right, now I'm out in the real world with all these new, you know, this newfound knowledge. And it was it was really great to to like to get to understand you know, them and the, the differences that they had and the concerns that they were having coming into a everybody relocating into one office in Zurich and coming together as a team and trying to you know, no, build norms. And the other thing that I was very, um, I guess, empathetic to was there was also this culture of, well, you've got headquarters and you know, headquarters in San Jose, and then you've got the international satellite offices. And I really wanted us to come together as one team because knowing that, you know, how important the international business was and what a big part it was, uh, I, we couldn't have them just feeling like they were taking orders from us because, you know, the other thing is if we're, if we're just dictating things from San Jose, we were going to get it really wrong um, mm-hmm. with respect to, you know, a large affiliate business in Germany and, right. you know, the, the um, you know, how they worked in, in, uh, in England. So it was really great for us to come together. And, and we made the, one of the things that we did is I made the effort of, instead of having those teams always come into the San Jose office, we flew out to Zurich and we spent a lot of time out there. You know, to the point that uh, my kids were very young at the time, and uh, it was not really that popular <laughs> for me to travel to Europe as much as I was doing. But right. it was, you know, it was on the other hand, it was really important, and it did really set, you know, level set the relationship. And you know, we had better communication because it was open. They knew they were being listened to. Yeah, you know, we were really trying to understand, and I was trying to make sure that they were they were seen as like true members and true peers in the organization. And you're on their turf, if you will. And so it's mm-hmm. it's there's something nonverbal about always making people come to you, like you're the king, and people are coming to pay homage. To, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah, that's never said, and you imply your culture is open door and egalitarian, and you know we care, we listen. It's the doing of those acts that I think is so important. So even even something 
simple as we'll come to you and then you know you're you're the stranger there right they're on their own turf and there's something very equalizing about that and i i think that's where empathy can take root of like now you're in their environment you're in their office you see what they see every day you know they're taking you out to lunch to the places they go you know it's it's, it's it's sort of a way of getting in the trenches, if you will, because you're now experiencing what they experience as yeah. coworkers and as team members. Yeah, it, it, it is. You're right. It is one of those things that's subtle and it's not, um, it, you know, I, I, I've had these experiences, maybe we all have, right, where you're like going to, you know, your CEO's office or your, you know, when, you know earlier on in your career, so you're going to an executive's office and you're all waiting outside for, <laughs> you know, and I am a am a big believer of going out and just like walking around well, the day pre-COVID days, right? When you pre-COVID, yes, pre-COVID. Right. When you're in an office <laughs> right, and you're actually right. you know, able to interact with people. Right. Um, but but really getting out and you know, walking around and talking to people. And, you know, if I'm gonna have a meeting, you know, I'll go to their office. And you know, a lot of that, it gives me the opportunity, like a number of things, like A, to be seen you know, by more people rather than just being sheltered away in the whatever corner I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other thing was be, to be just to like say hi and get to know people and for them to feel like you're a real person as well as their leader. And then, um, you know, to your point, like have that level set within when you're meeting in somebody else's office, mm-hmm. um, they're a little bit more comfortable. They're in their own turf. Exactly. You know, you're, you're reaching out to come to them. And I think all those subtle things end up, you know, having a stronger connection between you and your team. And it is actually one of those things, um, I'm glad you brought it up because it's one of those things that I've actually gotten feedback from my teams about that. And as I say, connected with people who've worked on my teams over the years, and they said, you know, hey, that was great when you did that, when you came out and you walked around. And I'll often hear if there's a, you know, like, yeah, the current, you know, current you know, person's not doing that quite as much. It's, you know, it's just different. It's just different. Yeah. You know? And, and, you know, that was one of the things where I, and I've had these amazing moments where you're standing outside somebody's office, you're walking by and you have this conversation and all of a sudden it sparks these great ideas and you're like, that's something we need to go do. Let's, let's go check into that. And, you know, it wasn't a scheduled meeting. It wasn't right. a planned conversation. It's these, these moments that you'd otherwise miss out on. So I think the empathy, you know, that connection leads to some of these, you know, these greater outcomes. For sure. And I think you brought up a good point there in that, you know, a lot of, a lot of having empathy for other people is to understand them as humans and understand them in context. And when we were younger in our twenties, at least I was very much about like work Maria and personal Maria. And, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, you, not that you were a completely different person, but there was sort of like a line there. And Yeah, I mean, you can't let it all hang out in the workplace, but if anything from this current crisis, it's stripped away that veneer of whatever that veneer is. And now you're like in each other's homes. You're you're over Zoom, right. you're over a video platform. There's nowhere to hide. And I right. think that's created in many cases a stronger level of collaboration with people because now you are seeing them as human beings and now you sort of understand their context. Oh, I understand why... Steve didn't get back to me right away because he's got little ones running around or, you know, whatever it is, you, you, you get to know someone on a personal level and it changes how you view their actions and what they say. 
and even yeah. their their moods in certain situations because now you do have that empathy of like now I know what's going on in your life. Yeah, I think that's um, that is it, it is probably one of those outcomes of the current you know, the crisis where you know people I think everybody has been struggling with things to a certain degree on their own, right? Mm-hmm. And um, going through their own quote unquote stuff, right? And I think that's given us empathy for other people, and you know actually. Yeah, you know, having those conversations of, hey, how are you doing? And not just a like, hey, how are you doing? Good. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, no, how are you? Yeah, how yeah. are you doing? Yeah. Um, and I mean, I've had so many conversations with friends and former colleagues who are getting to know their teams better and in ways they haven't ever been able to before. And, you know, being emotionally available for each other. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's in a way, not as much of a stigma as it was, or, you know, seen as being, you know, weak and, you know, it, yeah. you know it's funny. It's one of these things that's even go through like the VC community and places like that, where it's yeah. really like, you know, super, uh, you know, it, it, you're, super right alpha. Word, yeah. Alpha. <laughs> alpha. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. great <laughs> word, right. Um, but now it's like being, being emotionally available is not uh, seen right. as being, being weak. Right. And I think that's, you know, you, you touched on it earlier of, for some reason, I mean, not for some reason, it's because of cultural norms and and the way work has evolved over the years is that being empathetic and being compassionate at work is seen or can be, you think you're going to be seen as too soft or you think people mm-hmm. are going to walk all over you or you think that means that, oh, then then the powers that be won't think I'm competitive or ambitious. And you and other leaders are showing that you can be those things and still be really strong and confident and kick ass and do all the things that you need to do and perform. And, and sometimes because of that, not even like in spite of that, but because you operate that way. Yeah. 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 It's it's really, again, it's funny you say that because I, um, again, having conversations with people when you get to know them and again, at these like different levels, then, you know, you communicate better. And, and there were, yeah, the Fed, you know, um, one of my technology leaders, he said to me, like, you know, you don't even have to say anything, but I see that look that you give me and I know I need to do better. <laughs> and you know, and we, we, have a, we have a great yeah. relationship to this day, but yeah. it's one of these, like when you get to know people on a different level and I knew what he meant, like he, he didn't want to let me down. Right. Um, and some of these same people that I talk to that I drop by in their office and, you know, have this quick conversation and they're like, again, conversations a few years later, like, wow, you really pushed us hard. And, you know, it wasn't like we got to you know, sit there for like, we, you got a lot out of us and that was amazing, but we, you also were a real person and you're really accessible. Absolutely. And you can be both. That's, that's, I think the, the takeaway is for so long, there's been so many leaders that have subscribed to this theory that they it's either or. Oh yeah. And actually, you know, which, as you know, we've talked about with all the research in the book, it actually proves no, it actually exponentially helps you be more successful when you are empathetic and compassionate and get to know people on a real level. And then you can be as ambitious and competitive as you want to be as a result. Right. You're, you're, you couldn't be more correct. I, um, I just, a CEO I worked for, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into anything further on who it was, but you know, Give an example where this can go wrong. Um, just had this this view of the the employee base that you know everybody just needs should be happy to have a job. And this actually said this in 
uh, a um, exec senior exec meeting where we were talking about <laughs> actually said it out feed- loud. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Employee survey feedback and how employees were feeling about it. It was like, they should just be happy to have a job right now. And just, oh my gosh. You know, and yeah, that's not really the right approach. People feel that they don't feel appreciated. It's like, well, I'm just expected to do everything. There's no appreciation for anything that I do. Right. So that's, guess what you get out of them. And, and, you know, you can also guess how this company was doing at the time. And then, you know, contrast that to another CEO who I was just um, speaking to. And he said it really well. It was like, I, re- I want my employees to go above and beyond just earning a paycheck. I want them to feel like they're a part of a tribe and they care about each other and they care about our customer and they care about what they're delivering. Mm-hmm. And it's a point of pride for them. And this was not his way of saying like, well, I want to pay them less than what were they worth on the market. He's just right. saying that, you know, it's like he doesn't want them working just for like, okay, I see a paycheck show up in my bank account every two weeks. Right. We're good. It's like, and I think we, again, we've all been in these places where you felt that and like you feel like so responsible to your team members and your, you know, your leaders and your customers. And that's what you really want. And again, going back to the CEO, guess what? They were doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so, you know, it, it really does play out in your results. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And it makes sense because if people feel seen, heard, and valued, they're going to perform their best work. I mean, nobody's going to be innovative and creative in an environment of fear and hostility. Like that's just not possible. Your 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 Maslow's hierarchy of needs is you're just you're just worried about your own butt at that point and and your right. job and like I'm just going to like lay low. I'm not going to take any risks. I'm not going to like rock the boat. You don't get you don't get Google. You don't get Airbnb. You don't get innovation like that from environments like that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's so fascinating. It's one of these things that's intuitive and you know it. Yeah. And yet we we as as a business culture in general have gotten it so wrong for so long. And, right. and you know, it's been this, you know, in a way of this alpha male, you know, strong arm leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. So I just yeah, it's 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 fascinating how we've kind of gotten there, but it's so glad so glad we're having this conversation and with you doing empathy edge bringing that to the forefront because it is so important that we that we continue to evolve and change right. and do a better job at this because there's so much more that we can get out of each other yeah and luckily that's where the conversation's been going so that's that's very heartening to see yes where have you seen where or how have you seen empathy modeled really well in leadership, whether it was a place you worked or a company you're tracking right now, a brand you're tracking right now, where you've seen them get bottom line success. And contrasting that, where have you seen the lack of it? I think you you touched on this just now, but where have you seen the lack of it actually lead to negative financial results? Yeah, so either yeah. either one, you can tackle the positive one first if you want. Sure. Yeah, we'll take t- tackle the positive okay. one. And like um, I said, even if it's just something you've seen in the marketplace lately. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a few. Um, I, I think one was within an organization going back to my eBay days, and mm-hmm. um, Brad Peterson, who's now the CIO at Nasdaq, is he was a our CIO there at the time, and this was when I was in the technology organization, and he did an amazing job of you know bringing the technology organization together in service of the the business, and you know really connecting with business leaders, having all of us really connect with our business partners, and you know, in, in, in this very kind of low ego and empathetic way that made 
him and the rest of the organization that much more powerful and that much better at, at um, you know servicing our, our customers, um, our internal customers. So that was one that I think was a great you know one for me to see and then be able to model. And again, we just have kind of a low ego approach to things. Mm-hmm. Um, I also remember when John Donahoe came in as CEO of, of eBay, and you know, now he's obviously CEO of Nike. And, you know, him just having his meetings, not just with senior leaders, because everybody, you know, CEOs do their onboarding meetings, say, I need to learn from you, but, you know, met with us who are in the, you know, you know director ranks, and there's, you know, a lot of us at eBay at the time, a large organization, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, he came in and sat down with all of us and had those conversations just sitting on the, you know, not, not sitting up in front of the podium, but still sitting on a desk and, uh, at the front of the room, um, having this, this discussion with us. And, you know, those were pretty powerful just to think, you know, okay. And, you know, leaders being empathetic, wanting to understand, trying to, uh, you know, get into the heads of the people who are working around them, working for them versus just trying to dictate a strategy or dictate a, you know, uh, you know whatever the tactics are right. at the time. So those were two, a couple, a couple examples. I say one other one just on in current market, think uh, Alaska Airlines is doing a great job of being empathetic to their customers as yeah. you know, you're looking at you know, people who have to fly and not wanting to be, you know, or wanting to have the safest possible experience. Right. And, um, you know, I've, I've experienced this myself when I've had to fly, I've, I've chosen Alaska because they're giving me extra room and they're really communicating well about what they're doing to keep everyone safe. And I've had friends that I've talked to said, you know, I, my loyalty to that coming in, living in the Pacific Northwest, um, <laughs> there's a lot of, a lot of us are flying in Alaska, but um, all of their, their loyalty has gone through the roof um, yeah. for that brand. So I think as being empathetic to customers, and this is not the most profitable thing they can do today no. to maximize near-term results. And they see other airlines who have made different decisions yeah. and are packing every single seat that they can and, you know, saying, no, no, no you're going to be fine. But you know, I I I think um, it's it's now bearing out in like all the feedback that I'm hearing from people about how they feel about it. Well, and you're exactly right. The inverse of that is an airline which we will not name, who's like, no, we're filling every seat. It's all about profitability, and you know, now people are like you said, now they're going out of their way not to fly that airline. Yeah, and you know, I know I am, and. You know, if it's if if it's just bottom line, you don't even care about your customer's safety. That's probably the most basic empathetic thing a brand can do is to care about their right. customers yeah. and employees' <laughs> safety, right? Um, Going back to Maslow's hierarchy. I know exactly, and so it's just it just boggles my mind that that's a public decision that's being made, that's being communicated out that we're just not going to do that for our customers. Yeah. and yeah. I don't know who that makes happy because in the long term, it's going to hurt shareholders. Because the the brand is going to be eroded by that, people won't want to fly it. It is going to impact profitability at some point. So yeah, it's I kind of scratch my head sometimes when I when I see these decisions being made. So what do you think? What can you share with us about habits or tips that you've personally employed to maintain an empathetic mindset, especially as you know you've gone up the ranks, your responsibilities, your scope of work, your stresses have increased with each you know, more advanced role, are there you know, one or two things you can share about what's helped you remain empathetic to employees and to customers? We can especially talk about the fact that you know, all of a sudden you found yourself in fashion 
yeah. <laughs> selling to women and um, not that you're not fashionable, but you know, thank it's, you, it's definitely you. a different market and a different mindset. So what were some things or what are some habits and tips you can share with listeners about how you've strengthened your own empathy for employees and for customers whom you may not have understood before? Yeah. Um, another, another great question. Um, you know, a few things, you know, one, one for me, and, and talking about you know, being in fashion and making that transition when I went into urban outfitters. Um, so before, you know, mostly been in technology companies. So eBay and, you know, yeah, you have, you know, you've got users and you've got a user community and you get together at some you know, user community conventions, but you don't have stores where you're, you're directly connected to the customer. And, I remember the first time I went into one of the Urban Outfitters stores and went into the back room and I was like, wow, this is where, this is a stock room and this is where all the stuff is stored that's not on the floor. I had no idea. Um, so, yeah, so it tells you what, how little I knew yeah, about how, how well-versed in retail yeah. you were, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> I should probably not be telling that story. Um, but um, It all worked out. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the, the, other, the other thing on that, and you know, again, having, it goes back a little bit back to data and, you know, we have all this data at the um, headquarters and what we're capturing from all the interactions with customers, but, you know, understanding who's on the front line with your customer and really understanding their feedback and their experience. And, you know, you can learn so much for that from them about the customer and about, you know, what's going to help them serve the customer better. So as we're doing things like designing a loyalty program and, you know, putting that on the pin pads in the stores and, you know, really making sure you're listening to them. You know, and sometimes we get in this mindset that, you know, the, the, yeah, everybody in the corporate headquarters are the really, that's where the brain power is and everything that happens. And, you know, it's exactly the opposite. Exactly. You know, this, uh, yeah. And it goes back to that kind of service leader mentality or servant leader mentality of like, you know, we're, you're there to, to serve the customer who's being served by all these employees who are on the front line. So really get to understand that. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be, that would be one. I say another one is um, that again, something I've done that I've gotten a lot of great feedback on. And it's also something I've kind of stolen from other leaders that I've worked for is skip level meetings. And these were something that happened at you know, eBay when you're you know, up and coming as a leader and you know, um, they, you know, remember Marty Abbott, who was the SVP of technology while I was there. And I, every you know, month or so I'd meet with Marty and I'm a you know, manager, senior manager. And, you know, I probably didn't really appreciate it as much at the right. time of you know, like 28, 29 and have this, you know, amazing resource to, to meet with him and get to learn from him. And so, and, and, you know, he's trying to understand what's going on with the organization and connecting with me. And I, I really greatly appreciate it. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, but now that I look back on it, I'm like, wow, that was, that was really amazing. But something now that I've taken and tried to do with, you know, not just my direct reports, but other leaders within my organizations and, you know, maybe once a quarter or something like that, spend, you know, dedicate time within my, my calendar to have a half hour meeting with each of them and also treat those meetings like I would any other, you know, uber important meeting on my calendar and not just do that. Some of the things that we talk, typically do is like, you, know, you kind of push them around and like, oh no, I'm too busy today. I'm going to push that to next week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and again, this is something that everybody's really appreciated when, when it happened. And also given me insight into things that I would not normally see at my level and not normally understand. And yeah, that's a, one of the other things that happens as senior leaders is you, you kind of get into your own little bubble and 
you, you know, a lot of times you're being told what people think you want to hear and they don't want to give you bad news. Right. Um, so, you're insulated. So, yeah. So, yeah. so re- when having those conversations and also, you know, saying, so, you know, one of when I go into an organization and meeting a team saying, like, I really believe in open and honest communication and I really want to hear what I need to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to hear what you want me to hear right. or, or what you think, what you what think, you think I want to hear. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think that's, you know, I generally try to be as accessible as possible that way. Mm-hmm. And again, that's made a difference in things that I understand that need to, I can then affect as a leader that I would not have otherwise known. Absolutely. Um, so, and, and I, you know, I've managed to have some really good candid relationships with people at like throughout, throughout all levels. Well, and I think th- both of those tips about, you know, meeting directly with people who are in direct contact with the customer is important. Mm-hmm. And also the skip level meetings, those kind of do two things at the same time in that they, first of all, you're asking questions, you're in a learning mode, you're not going in with any prescriptions or answers, but number one, you are getting to know what your customers want and need. And number two, you're also being empathetic towards the people you're getting that information from in that now Mm -hmm. they feel heard and they're like, oh, you know, this leader two levels up is meeting with me to find out what's going on in my world and what I'm working on and not to get me in trouble, but just just because they genuinely want to know, like you have to probably be, you know, be empathetic about how you do those too, right? But yeah, I think it just kind of accomplishes two different things. It helps the leader stay in touch with what's what's going on outside of their bubble, but it also then shows empathy for the people that you're seeking that counsel from. That they're right. like, oh wow, they're they're getting to know me and my work and my day and what challenges I'm facing. So you kind of kill two birds with one stone on that. So I love that. One hundred percent. Yeah, great. maybe um, one one other one. You know, just another quick example. This was Urban Outfitters. You know, Cyber Monday was you know biggest day online. Uh, you know, and everybody's gearing up for it for months. Mm-hmm. And then the day when the day comes, you know, the technology organization they're in the war room. They're like right. super super busy. You're on the um, the business side. So when I was running e-commerce at Urban, you know, it's, it's relatively quiet because you're. Yeah, you've done all of your work leading up to this. So, right, right. Uh, so, so one of the things that we would do is um, myself and a few of the leaders on the business team, we'd go over and you know take pizza over to the uh, the, the technology team who's sitting in the war room, and not just have pizza delivered, but like really sit there with them at night while Bring they're it watching to them. Like, yeah, 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 and. Again, it was just something that, you know, a couple of years later, I ran into somebody from the technology organization and it's like, hey, everything's going. He's like, yeah, it's going well, but, you know, the, the business team doesn't bring us pizza on Cyber Monday. Um, <laughs> you know, so, and, and it was one of these, like, we yeah. then, you know, we get to connect with them on more of this emotional level. Like, they understand that we know what they're going through and what they're doing to support the business. Mm-hmm. And then again, it just kind of leads to this better relationship, deeper conversations, breaking down these, you know, taking the armor off and, and you know, getting to relate as people. So, just some, some really almost simple things like that that have made, you know, make, make a big difference. I think like overall, what I'm hearing as well is making the time for that just as much as you make the time to look at the P&L or, you know, work on lead generation or whatever your, your functional tasks are for your job as a leader is you've got to make the time for the people component. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a, like, in a way, yeah, yes, the, the other things are really, really important. We need to make the time for right, 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 right. But, but at the end of the day, you know, we need to have these organizations of people who are really inspired and really want to do their absolute best and, you know, go above and beyond mm -hmm. for the, the leaders they're working for. So if we're not out there connecting with them, inspiring them, you know, showing them that they are working for humans and not just for these, you know, quote unquote, faceless, you know, executives, you know, we're going to get so much more out of the organizations and, and they're going to be so much more motivated and, and feel better about what they're doing because they've gone above and beyond what they thought they could do. Right. So I think that really is one of our big, big jobs as leaders that sometimes get falls by the wayside. For sure. And so before we go, because I know we were able to mention it the first time we ran through this interview, your empathy for your team kind of bubbles over into empathy for your own community. And I think at a time right now when empathy is sorely needed between people, between, you know, we need to have empathy for all the small businesses that are struggling right now, empathy towards the working parents that are juggling homeschooling and their jobs. And, you know, there's like empathy needs to go around right now. You're doing, <laughs> yes, you're doing something amazing in Seattle. Can you talk about what you're doing to help small businesses? Oh, in Seattle? Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, so a few uh, ex eBay friends and I uh, were having a call at the beginning of the COVID uh, crisis and just thinking about, Hey, what can we do to help? Because it feels like there's, there's more that we need to do and, and being connected with a few small business owners who were really struggling saying, well, let's, pull some of our, you know, time and talent together to do what we can do to give them more traffic. So we um, started up uh, keepitlocalseattle.org and build up a social media following. We have over 250 businesses on the website now and are really trying to build this community around local business and getting everybody to understand the importance of supporting local when so many businesses need that support today. Because it's, you know, these local businesses are such a heartbeat of the community and, and um, do make it in such special places. So right. we want to see them all succeed. So we're trying to do what we can to, uh, to help out. I love that. So keep it local, Seattle. Keep it local, Seattle.org. .org. Okay. Yeah. And where can folks get in touch with you? People can get in touch with me. Um, they can follow me on Instagram at uh, shartman32 if they want. I'm not much of a tweeter, so right. uh, my, my and you're yeah, on my LinkedIn Twitter too. I am on LinkedIn. Okay. Yes. So yeah, my LinkedIn is uh, shartman32, I believe. So kind of a theme. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, you know, it goes back. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this good stuff with us today, and also a little bit about your leadership journey and the role that empathy's played in your success, because I think that's the whole point of this show. I think I mentioned the first time we talked is that I'm trying to shine a light on models of success that are breaking the paradigm of, you know, take no prisoners, drive people into the ground, you know, don't get to know your coworkers or your team and showing that, Hey, this is another way you can be successful and you could actually be exponentially more successful by operating this way. So thank you so much for your time today, Steve. Thank you very much, Maria. Thank you for bringing this important conversation forward. Really appreciate everything you've done. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Empathy Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with others who want to redefine success and change the game. For more on how empathy makes you and your brand more successful, visit theempathyedge.com. 
There, you can download a free guide outlining five business benefits of empathy and a free sample chapter of Maria's book, The Empathy Edge. Until next time, remember that a more empathetic world starts with you and leads to tremendous success. Tremendous success.